You are listening to PLV Radio Network. Join us in celebrating all of life's possibilities. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Positive Living Vibrations with me, your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today, Patricia Real. We're going to be talking about two lives and one lifetime. I think we can really relate to this. If we look back on our lives, we kind of think, who was I then? What was I doing? I can't relate to her. So sometimes we do put a few lifetimes in this one lifetime. And maybe that's how it should be. It's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's how we understand what we are needing to do in life. Patricia is an author of the new released Two Lives, One Lifetime. It describes the experiences through her journey of generational addiction, and it's a bear all. She uh, hopes that thousands uh, of people will be able to really have a look at this culture, um, because quite honestly, what Pat did back in her day is very much what's been repeated in this day, and it seems to be a cultural thing that people do when they're young i.e. drink too much, party too much, live too hard, never worry about the consequences of tomorrow. Why do we do this? Does it stem from our families? Does it stem from our upbringing? Is it a cultural thing? Let's understand Patrick, because I know that you're going to see a great deal of shadowing in your own life story. Uh, Patricia is, or Pat as she is known, um, was overcoming alcoholism. And I think, again, something we can really relate to. Um, She's had the opportunity to live that second life and also to bring awareness to the alcoholism and what to do about it. Uh, You know, the thing is, we always have answers if we're willing to ask the question and we can always find what we need to know if we are willing to be open to receive. So let's receive Pat's wonderful information gathered over a lifetime and share her story of two lives in this one lifetime. Welcome to the show, Pat. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I'm so happy to be here. I'm I'm really uh, impressed with that introduction and, and some of the things you just said about <clears throat> living life and, and, and experiencing growth and change and having the opportunity to look at life in a different way. Uh, I look back over my life and and I'm really in awe sometimes uh, where I was as, as a young girl and, and a, even a young, long, young child and where I've come to today is, is like, it's almost like you would call it a miracle. Uh, it's more a blessing, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was very restless, irritable, and discontent right from the, the me- first memory that I can remember. I remember having a... a a hat on that I didn't want that my mother kept putting back on my head and I, I don't know maybe I was five and and being angry you know just not feeling comfortable and I grew up with that feeling all along until I found alcohol at 15 I took a drink and it was wonderful uh, all of that just seemed to just not be important anymore mm-hmm. and I chased that I chased that for years I I never um not until the end did I come close to being a daily drinker, um, which was a little difficult for me when I when I started to look at at changing that pattern. But um, I drank when you know I drank my way through school. I 
I didn't finish school, which is an important part of my story because at 17, I just had no interest in authority or studying or anything. I hear you. So I, I went off and I just chased the illusion. You know, I, I, everything was going to be in the next happening, the next. Yeah. Tomorrow. Suit, next hat, the mm. next fur coat, the next whatever it was that was going to come along. And, and, and that went along with guys. I mean, there was no question. Men and alcohol went together. And it was just one big party. And um, I met a, a man in a bar um, while I was working in New York. <clears throat> and I went to, uh, you know, I, I captured him. I said, okay, well, I guess I took the hostage because <laughs> there was nothing else to do, you know. Usually the men take the hostage. Maybe it was a little bit of both. But uh, we got married. We were young. And um, he went off to the Army. I stayed home, and I had my first child, and he came back, and it was just, I was the kind of person that kind of backed into everything. I backed into all situations, and then when I realized if I didn't want to be in, in that situation, I would twirl my way out. I would whirl myself until I got out, and then I would find the next situation to get into. So it was all about reaction, never about planning, never about um, having any goals, just getting up every day and, and making the day work and waiting for the party. And we, you know, we climbed the economic, socioeconomic ladder. We got better jobs. I never really worked when I was raising my children. I ended up with uh, two sons and a daughter. And um, I stayed home and, and I partied when I could. I found reasons to be out of the house. Uh, I realized after a while that maybe this marriage wasn't the best thing that ever happened to me. But there were no options at that point. You know, in my generation, it, it wasn't, a divorce wasn't in the, uh, wasn't in the cause at that point. And uh, so I stay, stuck around and I got through. Uh, the children got bigger. Uh, I got more social. Uh, the marriage got very crazy because his drinking picked up we drank together we partied together and it was uh it, that's what we, what i waited for finally mm. in um i guess it was the late 60s uh we found therapy he didn't finish he didn't want to go uh i continued and the woman that i went to was very much in touch with alcoholics anonymous and and, and recovery process and that kind of thing so she led me down the golden path to sobriety. Uh, that's about what happened. She put me in a group session with a man whose wife had a drinking problem, and I spent my whole group session telling him how to, how to sober her up because I was drinking myself at the time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but anyway, the long and short of it is I met some recovering people, and um, I kind of followed them along, along the way. I, two very important um, instances happened to me. One was I got drunk and fell down in a bathroom at a picnic and my daughter was outside the cubicle and she could not she, I could not get up to open the door and she was crying outside. Mm. Now I grew up with that kind of addiction. I grew up with that kind of alcoholism. My father was an active alcoholic but he was a periodic and he could not take his alcohol so when he drank he fell down. And here I was lying on this floor in this horrible place and realizing this is where it's coming to. And the second thing was I got behind the wheel of a car 
and I woke up driving from point A to point C and uh, in a blackout. And I woke up at the place I was supposed to be, and I thought, oh, my God. I did not know how I drove that distance. So it was just a matter of that was the, that was the turning point. Your catalyst was, point, yeah. yeah. You know, really, I, I mean, you look at your life, uh, you know, the way you've described it right now, and into and, and some points you could be describing mine, especially the early part. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for I left school at 16, just didn't see the point of being there anymore. Um, wow. You know, I, right. I, you know, partied. I was South Africa's first. So we had our first mobile discotheque in South Africa, and I was the first go-go dancer over there. We were oh. playing parties. Um, you know, I was. Met, older men were attracted to me, and I was attracted to them. Right. And you know, it was. I was looking for love. Uh, my dad right. had died. My mum had discovered a new life. And in a lot of ways, I was this kind of burden of this still this young kid kind of hanging around. And um, it was, you know, just looking for someone to validate my life. And, you know, in all the wrong places, right? Mm -hmm. And when we look at it today, this is something that we're still seeing in society with the youth today. And, you know, sometimes there isn't the excuse of the, you know, the family they came from. Um, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes it's just they get caught up in the groove of the partying and the abstaining from any responsibility that they just don't realize that this is what they're doing to themselves. Because, of course, they're young and they can handle it like we all thought we could. And it always takes something that, you know, kind of hits us over the head and says that this is it. This is your hatchet in the head. You've got to change. Right. It was was really, it was there. I mean, I just knew this, I just knew this problem. I knew it. I mean, I I lived with it in my house. My mother had friends. She used to drink with uh, uh, these crazy people, and then they'd been in our house at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, there were deaths, and and, and it was just about The problem was I was young, and I didn't fit the whole bill. Yeah. I, I I started the process thinking I had a problem, not that I was alcoholic. Alcoholics were daily drinkers. They were people who fell down a lot. I didn't fall down a lot. And, and it was just, you know, it was difficult. And I came, I, I came into this recovery piece with, with this thought in my head that if things get tough enough, I can drink again. So for the first I guess it was the first two years. I really didn't learn anything. Uh-huh. I, I got involved. I followed <clears throat> recovering people around. I, I developed some mentors. I, I did did everything that I should do, not to drink, but I didn't. I didn't pick up the growth and change. Yeah, the, and you didn't participate. Second, right. The second year of my my journey, I. Um, was in a bar with a bunch of people I didn't belong with, trying to keep a marriage together because he was still drinking. And uh, somebody ordered me a drink, and it, it had alcohol. And I picked it up, and I, I drank the first sip, and I thought, oh, my God, I didn't order this. And that was like the story of my life. I didn't order this. You're the problem. I, I'm okay. I just have to do what I want to do. And the second thing that came into my mind was, Nobody's going to know. I'm not with AAP. I'm not with mm. any people, recovering people. And I also thought, again, God will know. Now, that came out of some readings 
that came out of readings that I had done, and and that came out of a, a concept, evidently that I had picked up in my head, and I walked out of that place, and I had never, I have never had the desire, or realized thought that that was an option to any problem, since then. And forty three years uh, uh, recovery, yeah. which is right, well done. Celebrated Wonderful. And, you know, this shows it, it can be done. I mean, my dad, you know, I would call him, I don't know, it's, it's like, where is the borderline with the alcoholic? You know, um, he drank at night. He didn't drink through the day. He drank at night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. he was a, a, a real, you know, competent businessman. Uh, he drove too fast. He did everything too fast. Um, when they were told him he had a heart attack and that take it easy you know for him it was another death sentence this came kind of you know I think from the war okay you're giving me a death sentence I'm going to challenge life and you know he he lived four years which they didn't expect him to do but had he changed his life he probably you know would have lived for many many more years on but and he didn't come from an alcoholic family or anything I think that was just kind of the war um and you know, society. I mean, you're talking 60s, and I'm talking 70s. Right. Booze ran freely. It, it was right. the answer to everything, wasn't it? Right, it was. It still is. Yes. Still is. Yeah. Mean, we we delude ourselves. You know, we look at we look at drugs, and we say, "Oh, this is terrible drug." The alcohol is is, is the, the concept of alcohol has not changed. I've I worked in the field for 37 years. The stigma is still there. You you don't. It's just not. People just don't talk about it, but they feel it. It, it and it's a solution. Yeah. And if they're not taking that, they're doing something else that's going to make them feel better. It, we live in a, a, a society that doesn't doesn't deal in truth. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I hate to say that, but that's kind of you know we skirt around the truth. We find fancy name for for hangovers. We we call a. Uh, you know the effect of alcohol on the central nervous system the next day a hangover you know yeah. we don't say people die we say people pass away or, you know so we don't we, we we're avoiding because it's well we live in stress a lot of stress yes and it's escapism. It's, you know, it's a way to right. deal with that stress. It just takes the edge off. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, one takes the edge off, but now I need two to take the edge off or three right. to deal with the husband, um, you know, and um, so on and so on. And, you know, I mean, I'm a social drinker. You know, I generally have about two bottles of whiskey a year in my house. And when I feel like a drink, it's there. If I go out to a party or dinner, you know, one or two drinks is it. But back in the day, in the 70s, when it was freely roaring, um, it was my escapism. And, you know, and you mm-hmm. talked about the men. You know, it was, we were in an era of free love, free booze, free mm-hmm. love, free expression. Nothing's going to tie us down. Right. You know, we're not going to be pigeonholed. We're free man, you know, have another drink. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was another drink and another man and another morning of where the hell am I? Right. Well, anyway, that leads up to the the growth and change, I guess. Where I started to hear things. I started to understand things. I started to realize that I had education. I started to realize the disaster of the, the household that I was living in. And and for seven years of that recovery piece, I, I stayed there. And I, I, I tried to make things work. The children were getting older, and 
leaving, and it was just, it wasn't working. But anyway, I went to school. I, I decided to, I was meditating one day, and I decided to go to nursing school. I don't know how that happened, because I never wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to be a, to be a ballerina. But anyway, I, I A bit late school. for the ballerina, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> never had that kind of discipline. Uh-huh. I went to, I called somebody I knew that could lead me in the right direction. I ended up trying to get into the school, the LPN school, and I did that for the, and I didn't make the first round, so I went to college for a year, and then I went and got another application in, and I was accepted, so I did a year of that and graduated, and um, it was just, the whole thing was, everything was just opening up new growth, you know, every situation. There was a lot of therapy in there. I had gone to therapy early on because I needed to, to really get rid of some of the feelings and emotions that had surfaced after that decision not to ever drink again. And I just, you know, it was, I would get into a situation in life where I would have to go back to talk to somebody because I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out because I never, you know, my parents were, they were nice people. They really were. They, they had all the social graces. My mother taught me all the great stuff, you know. And, how to speak to adults and all of that stuff. No life skills. So life skills were were Mm -hmm. a challenge. And I remember losing my first job in a in a a detox center because I knew the guy that ran it, but I was so obnoxious as far as authority went, you know, I just couldn't deal with authority. And so I you know, when my grant was up he let me go and I had to run back to counseling and say, What happened to me? You know, here I am I'm trying to do the right thing, and I'm wonderful. And, you know, the guy said to me, "You want to get power? Get your own." So I went back to school, and I did some more stuff, and I ended up running a halfway house for women um, for 18 years, and um, took that from 14 beds to 38 beds before there. And then um, my husband, well, I left my husband and uh, married again, and. uh, my second husband was running a, a halfway house for men, and they needed a woman's program. And I knew that the women that we treated, that they couldn't get their children back because they didn't have the right housing, so we opened transitional housing for women and children. And I did that for 13 years. And I, I just retired. I, I was president of a halfway house association. I did a lot of things for the state while I was working. And... Um, uh, uh, was very visible. That changes made in the addiction field while I was out there. So I took this other job and I worked there for 13 years. I just left there in April of 12 and um, no, April 13. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> recently, um, it's not recently, right? And uh, in the meantime, before I left the job, I, I started the book, and um, the book started as a, as a letters to my children. It, it, I was leaving a um, um, packet for my funeral. I'm such a control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you so will I'm say at my funeral. I'm to the kids, and I'm trying to piece my history together for them. You know, I started digging, and, and, and I got out some information I had. And it got kind of lengthy, and I thought, you know, maybe I could put this in. I always wanted to write a book. One of the men that I worked for, it was very instrumental in my progression in my career, had died before he he was able to finish his book. And I thought, you know, that's kind of 
that maybe I should and a couple of people in the field that I had known that were older left their programs you know and didn't replace they didn't replace themselves and and so the programs all faltered and I thought and they all were you know they didn't leave anything behind and, and I thought no I have to do this so I, I started the book and it took me a while and I went through Hay House through the Balboa Press and it was very good uh, self-publishing it was, they worked with me well and uh the book came out, and I, um, and that's that's the two lives, one lifetime. It tells the story of a lot about my family in there, about my father and my mother and where they came from and their histories. And it, it's very interesting when my father's family came from Ireland and my mother came, was born in Singapore. So I mean, there's a lot of interesting uh, information about them, and then about the the first husband and the, the children. And, it goes on and, and, and walks through the decision and the, you know the struggle and the decision and, and all of the things that came after. And I just started another one. I'm on the fourth chapter. That's kind of a how-to. In other words, when I wrote the first book, I really didn't tell anybody how you do, how do you do this. Yeah. You know, I just did this. So now I'm putting on paper how did I do that each piece along the way. What did it take to learn? What did it take to do the situation? What, what were the situations like, and how did I have to walk through those to get the knowledge and the wisdom to well, be able to... when you think it. about it, you know, from the beginning of time, um, other people's stories, especially life stories, have been passed down, you know, from one generation to the next. And it's not only the history, but it is the education, of mm-hmm. you know of what was, and you know with our children, uh, you know my my poor kids went through the same thing. You know, and I wasn't an alcoholic, um, but my ex certainly um, you know was is, uh, or right. you know not that he would ever call himself that, but still he has a drinking no. problem, um, and and it was actually my kids it was actually my son that came to me and said I can't stand this anymore you have no life you are going to divorce him and I said but I'm waiting for my youngest to grow up and she turned around and she said oh forget that <laughs> you're going to do it now and it was that permission from my kids and, wow. and I look yeah. back on who I was raising those children and I have no identity with her today mm-hmm. I don't know who she was she's reactionary like you said right in the beginning reacting mm-hmm. to life rather than you know understanding life or what is our re- why am i reacting in this way um and it it you know i kind of in some ways look back at a little guilt of you know that i gave 100% of myself to my children but they yeah. didn't get 100% of who i really am they oh, got 100% of what i thought they needed to compensate and i think when the children do see your story and they really understand your life's journey it changes everything for them how have your kids reacted how did they react oh my daughter was wonderful i sent it right out to her and she she's out in san francisco and she she called me immediately she said oh my god i just kind of lived this whole thing she said this is wonderful she loved it my cousin i have i have not so many relatives i have no brothers and sisters so my mother's family was rather small, so there was a, a cousin that she grew up with that, that I got close to her two daughters, 
and I sent it to her, and she called and she said, they call me Patsy, which I absolutely hate. <laughs> Patsy, oh my God, she said, I don't believe so, how you're so honest, you know, because she drinks, and she does, she, she loves her Jack Daniels every day at five o'clock, I said, Jack Daniels and Coke, why she puts it in Coke, I don't know, but, but uh, she, you know, oh, you were so brave, she said to me. And then her daughter read it, and they loved it. Every, everybody that's read the book just likes it, you know. Because it, it's re- relatable. That's the thing, you know. It, it, you're telling your story, but it parallels so many other people's life stories that aren't brave enough to face it, okay. and you faced it for them. And that's the thing: is that by you being so honest and so candid, uh, and even on the show. You know, the, the booze, the men, the the wrong decisions, you've owned it. But in right. owning it, you set it free and you also give permission to other people to own their own wrong choices. Uh, and so, okay, you know, these choices aren't good for me. What am I going to do now to stop? What do I need right. to do? Who do I need to go to to help me change my way before I get that hatchet in the head? You were right. so lucky that oh. when you were driving... That, you know, how many, how many do we hear of drunk driving? Of course, now we hear about text driving. You know, it's it's up there with the booze now. But the drunk driving where people just don't remember. And there they've smashed the car or they've killed someone. So that gentle hatchet in your head, your wake-up call, was a gift to you. I can't tell you how many times I got behind the wheel of a car drunk. Yeah. I remember driving. I remember driving from my cousin's house in Long Island. Home to, I lived in Brooklyn at the time. And we had a, a, par, a highway called Interborough Parkway, and it was one big uh, curlicue. You know, it just went down, and it was two lanes uh, going, and it had big cement borders on either side, and it was it was treacherous. And I remember driving back from there on that Interborough Parkway. And think, I don't know how I ever did that. I mean, I just don't know. Yeah, and I, and I say to myself, my God, you know, just looking at that, there were things I did, places I was, that that I, you wouldn't want to be, and and it, you know, how did I through that? Today you couldn't go into those places. Today you couldn't get on a subway uh, train at two o'clock in the morning from a bar and go home from New York to Brooklyn, and and survive in the in the train station or dro- walking this big tunnel to get to the exit. yeah. You couldn't survive. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was just, they were, it was, it wasn't good stuff. And and my sins of omission and commission with my children, you described that perfectly because that's exactly, I was there. I did all the the, the football games. Yes. The the soccer games and being home on time for dinner. Dinner was always on the table no matter what I was doing during the day. But, you know, sins of omission and commission were mental and emotional. I was not there mentally. Yes. It took me years. It took me years to come to come around to that point of sensitivity. I never connected with another human being all my life. Mm-hmm. There was never any emotional connection. I, I had all this reaction and all of this acting as if, but I mean, I didn't know I was acting as if at the time. Yeah. But but I was not there. I was in, in a total self-centered mode. And, and it, you know, when I got in with recovering people and they seemed to be connecting with each other, that was kind of like something that drew me to those people. 
Yeah. Because I, I wanted to have that feeling. That camaraderie. Long time. Yeah. Yes. And I know you you talk about two lives, but, you know, when you're living that lie, uh, you know, you are living uh, two lives at that time. There's the life of who you really are that you just are screaming to come out, is begging for attention or begging to be loved or begging to be heard. And then there's this functioning person on the top that everybody thinks has got it all together. Um, Even the family, I mean, no one in the family. I, you know, I remember the first, the first uh, holiday. One of my holidays that I didn't drink a lot was, was Christmas and Thanksgiving because I always had a lot to do. But Easter was one of those drinking. Ho- I don't know why. <laughs> you know. And I was at my uh, first husband's uh, family's, and uh, the brother-in-law walked by with a case of beer. I can never remember. I was we were sitting on a stoop there, and I remember seeing him go by, and I. I reached for this can out of the case. I just pulled it out of the case as he went by. And I had my finger on the lid. And I was, I was sober since August, April. I had my finger on the lid of the, of the can. And my sister-in-law, ex-sister-in-law said to me, that's the best thing I've seen you do in months. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not drinking this beer. Right. So I, I put it down. Now, you know, that comment, that comment, they wanted you, they did not want you to recover because it meant that they had to face themselves. They all drank. They were were boozers, boy. Right. Heavy-duty boozers. You know, you know, you you've got here in your book and your third chapter. One does not always choose the people who influence one's life, although the human mind directs us all actions. In represent, I needed to go through all these experiences to shape me into what I would later be a different person. You know, the people that we're born to, or the people that are in our family environment, school environment, you know, is out of our control. But we have to pay attention to those people and are they feeding us or are they sucking us dry that comment of hers is you know um, I I can't have you be recovered because if you are I have to then look at my own life and I'm unwilling to look at my own life so please fall off the wagon because it will make me feel better if you're around those kind of people the first thing you need to do in recovery is change your environment Absolutely, and that's what I had to do. I absolutely did. It took me a while because I had to stay. I had to do closure. I, I really believe, I, I've learned over the years, if I don't do closure in the situation, I, I, I have a, I'm either doomed to repeat or I'm doomed to be restless. I'd like to tell you a quick story, if, if, I, if I have time. Yes, certainly. Uh, the... <clears throat> The years that I worked in the field, I worked mostly with women, and I had a private practice that did motor vehicle counseling, drunken driving things, and all of that. But a lot of women in my and there were 1,100 women. I don't sat out of any kind of ego. I say it just because I want to make a point. There were 1,100 women that went through the program uh, in in the halfway house of single adult women that I ran in the 18 years that I was there. Now all of those girls didn't get you know, sober and clean, and, but a majority of them did, and, and I'm in touch with them, a number of them today. They stay in touch with me. Then there were 150 women in the transitional housing program that went through there. Then there were women through the years, all through the years. 
All right. Well, the other night, my husband was, they gave him a recognition dinner because he's leaving the, the, the firm, the company, uh, the halfway house place. And um, they give a graduate achievement award at that dinner to a man and a woman from the programs. And one of the women that, that went through the transitional housing program early on in the beginning, I girl, that I had a lot of, we just didn't connect. She and I, and and it was a it was a shame because, um, she she told me early on that I reminded her of her mother, so I stayed away from her. I left her alone. Uh-huh. She had a counselor. She had somebody else working with her, because I ran the thing. But anyway, um, I, I've connected over the years, and uh, we talked, and and everything's fine. So she got up at the podium the other night, and she was thanking, the, the, you know, the the uh, Freedom House and what they did for her and her children. She had had brought this little six-month-old child with her when she came in, and she had, um, he brought him with her. She was nine, so it was nine years ago, and he was standing next to her at the podium, and she was thanking everybody, and then she said, but one more thing. Now, there were 250 people in the room, and they were corporate people, board members, graduates, uh, residents, you know, a number of different kinds of people and, and staff, and she said, just one more thing. And she held my book up. And she said, if you haven't read this book, she said, you need to. It tells you all about everything we're talking about here tonight. And she said, I want to read you the last paragraph. And she reads this last paragraph about, I came from the dark to the light, from fear to faith. And then there's a story about the lady walking through the street where I'm looking at her thinking, can I be a nice, would I love to be a nice lady like that? And I read, re- I don't, if you have the book, I don't know. But the, the last lines in the book is, I don't ever have to feel, feel like that. I am like that now or something like that. Uh-huh. Okay. And she reads this to this 250 people. Well, I'm in tears. My son is sitting <laughs> in front of me and I'm in tears. Okay. Anyway, I went up to her after the Thing and I thanked her and I said, but the most important thing that happened was I have been very restless because I left the job and I, it was a decision to, to, to downsize. And I've been very, very restless and it kind of like it's in my head. Is God through with me? I mean, have I done everything that I have to do that I, there's no more to do? You know, this has been going on for since I left there in 12, April 12th. And, but it doesn't color my days or anything, but it's just, it was, it's been there yeah. in my head. And I, it was gone. It was gone. Yes. I, I didn't understand why. So I'm working with a client the next day, and I'm telling her the story, and it hits me. She represented every one of those women over a 37-year career, standing up there holding that book in the air and, and, and saying that. She, she, she spoke for all those girls. Yeah. I she was your validation that. of all the work that you've done. Oh, my God. Like, I'm still crying when I yeah. talk about it because it just was so freeing. Like, it's okay. You know, you did the deal here. Yeah. Oh, you yeah really the, here's did. your you legacy. Here's from... your story. Your, your work is going to continue on. Right. And you came from here yeah. to there. You know, and, and 
I wrote those words. Yes. They were were words I wrote. And I remember the editor, at the last time I talked to him, he said to me, I want you to change the bottom bottom of the book. He said, the last couple of sentences, I want you to reverse them. Because I had the last sentences, dark to the light, fear the faith. And and he said, I want you to put the, the last thing that up above the story of the lady. He said, I want you to finish the, the page with that. And, and it, it was, it's powerful because it's true. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be that person anymore because I was willing to admit that I had a problem with alcohol and I was an alcoholic and that I was willing to go wherever that road took me in recovery. And it took me through pain. It took me through it took me through an education. It took me through a profession. It took me through. It took me through so much, so much more than anybody that I know has gone through. And I'm very grateful for all of that. As will be the people who read your book and who learn from it, who and who even are hearing your story here today. We learn from other people's stories. This is entirely what PLV Radio is about. Mm-hmm. You, you be authentic and honest and embracing of your journey with no shame, with understanding it was the wrong path and you redirect it because you placed value upon yourself and your life and your purpose. Mm-hmm. And the, the 37-year liberation that you've done of caring, of nurturing, that now that woman stood up holding your book and saying, this is quintessentially the manual. Yeah. Right? right? And you know, yeah. if if she can do it, then we can face ourselves and do it too. Because, you know, we are with ourselves for the rest of our lives. We can't escape ourselves. We can't. You know, bottom of, bottom of the bottle and a needle or relationships, we are with ourselves. And if you want to have a life that's worth living, you've got to invest in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one else can do that for you. No, no one, no one else. No. And you have to understand where is this destructive behavior coming from because it always stems from something. I had to do the exact. I had to go through the exact nature of those things. I had to look at all my past. I had to put my family in perspective. I had to forgive my family. My mother and father didn't know any better. That it wasn't them. It, it was there. It was the times that. too. I mean, you know. Yeah. There wasn't this kind of touchy tea, you know, the, as far as they're concerned, as long as your clothes on your back, food on the table and a bed for you to be in and an education, they'd done their job. Right. There exactly. wasn't nurturing. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't that. There wasn't that hands-on. Um, no. That wasn't the era. You know, this is more now. You know, right. it's, it's that touchy-feely right. and interactive with our kids. And our kids today, you know, are going to benefit so much more from it. Um, but, you know, if your parent, I actually had a show on just before uh, Christmas um, on, you know, kids, be grateful for your parents. They were once children. They once had dreams right. like you. You know, they once wanted to go to the moon too. And, uh, you know, they they had you. And that you became their life. And so mm-hmm. instead of like, uh, you screwed up my life, how about a little bit of gratitude for them doing this? They did with what they yeah. had, right? Right. It's true. My father was my father was in the service. My, fa- my family was in the theater. My mother and father both were in, my, mo- my father was in vaudeville. My mother was in the theater. I mean, it, it, you know, I have a really uh, interesting history. Uh, of, of, of you know roots and um, 
I have a cousin that's doing more in investigating, which is really nice because my mother has a large family, but they all went to Australia. Uh, um, the brothers went to Australia. I did get in touch with a cousin, but that was years ago. Uh, they were they some of them ended up in California, you know. But I have no clue beyond what I what's in the book about you know who they are, where they are. But it, it's it it is but, nice. My my uncle on my mother's side went back over 500 years to when they started keeping records of the family name and the family name mm-hmm. had already been going for at least 100 years um, so that was really neat and on my father's mm-hmm. side I know we go back to Guy Fawkes uh, who was burnt at the stake for treason <laughs> so we've apparently got a long lineage there which I do want to do one day but it is yeah. nice to see kind of from whence you came um, but it also, yeah. if we un- if we want to understand our lives today, we need to look what were our lives yesterday because we're constantly yes. on a repeating cycle, aren't we? You know, oh, yeah. And until we realize that we're on this treadmill of yeah. this destruction yeah. and where does this destructional pattern come from, we can't mm-hmm. change the pattern. I think, I think, you know, we always go back into that. A situation will come up and we always want to go back into that old tape and pull it out and react off it, and, and the best part of that is stopping and saying, wait a minute, this is not the same thing. You know, this is this person is not the same person. That situation is not the same situation. I have to stop here, reevaluate, you know. I've, I've done a lot of Eckhart Tolle. I, I really like him. Mm-hmm. I think he is just uh, just great. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of that. Emmett Fox and read a lot of metaphysics. So I'm, I'm not into... You know, I, I left that past in, in a therapist office many years ago, but, you know, there were still times where that, that, that stuff rears its ugly head. I, I, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And, yeah. and yeah. whenever I went to therapists, I swear to God, they ended up on the couch. Because yeah. I'm a natural born counselor, I am. I have always been, and they ended up on the couch, uh, and, and it's just like, what am I doing here? And they also say to me, "What are you doing here? You have the answers." And I said, well, "I may have the answers, but it's for some reason I can't seem to get them to stick." You know. Well, um, I, my, my, unfortunately, the therapist I had last didn't didn't say that. He wanted he wanted to keep me coming and go over all of that again. And I said, "No, no, no. We left that behind. Exactly. I'm not doing that anymore." You know, that's, that's, that's all. I, I, I saw, I went to, I, I went, yeah, yeah, we've got to figure it out ourselves. I went to a group therapy because I have fibromyalgia and I went to this fibromyalgia clinic with someone. She said, come along and see what the group's like. And this guy, the entire time, oh, I know it's painful. I know that it hurts your life. I know it's hard to live with. And I'm looking at him and I thought, he's crippling everybody there. Everybody, and he's doing it because he wants them to come back every week. Now, it turned out he had, be, he had been, I think, a cocaine user in the past. He was an addictive nature. His addiction now was having people be dependent on him every week, yeah. right? Being their crutch. Sure. It wasn't there to empower. It wasn't there to say, yes, I know the pain is there. This is what you could do when the pain comes so it doesn't dictate. You know, there was none of that. It was feeding the pain and the misery. And I thought, this is your addiction. And, you know, we're talking alcohol here. But, of course, we could be talking drugs. We could be talking food. We could be talking sex. We could be talking so many other addictive natures here. So, you know, your choice was alcohol. And mine was back in the day. I'd never gotten to the drug scene, fortunately. Um, 
and and actually for having children I could start I kind of became allergic to alcohol I couldn't drink it as much anymore and as mm-hmm. I said I hardly drink it now at all when I do I really enjoy it but you know there's it's not there but it, we have to look at what what is our addiction and mm-hmm. because your the booze for you was purely the crutch you know it was the, your your addictive nature there but you may have licked oh, but I found other things along the way you uh-huh. know like like I I I found myself buying a, a sweater one night, a red sweater that I didn't even need because I had had just had a very uncomfortable situation that I had to, I had experienced in, uh, and and I was in a store buying a red sweater. I had three red sweaters. I didn't need another red sweater. You were trying to make yourself feel good. And I'm standing on the line with this sweater in my hand, thinking, "What the hell am I doing? Uh-huh. I don't need this sweater." I'm just here because I don't want to think about what just happened to me. Yeah, you know? and, and you that, might, that. and you're trying to make yourself feel better. Yeah, I All was, right? and yeah. I, I got in touch with that. I, my God, that's suspending addiction. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I mean, I could get easily addicted to anything. I mean, there's no question about it. And that's something we have to be aware of, isn't it? You know, yeah. and, and uh, you know, I'm, I've just turned sixty, and I can honestly say, you know, finally in my life, I am at one with myself, um, uh, and it's because I'm doing something I'm absolutely passionate about: interviewing people like you who are willing to share their story to enable other people along their journey. Um, it feeds me, you know, it feeds my soul, my heart, my spirit. Um, I think it's wonderful. And it, this is probably my new addiction, and I'm happy to be addicted to this. <laughs> I had one. I was working in the field for thirty seven exactly. years helping women. I mean, you know. And if I'm you, sure, you if know. you know that you have that kind of maybe addictive nature, turn the addiction to something that at least is going to benefit other people. Right. Well, you know, you put the energy where it's positive instead of negative. That's exactly. Better. You know, it's, it's all the same energy. It's just misdirected in some way sometimes. And I think that the best people in the position to help people in recovery are those that have recovered. Mm-hmm. You know, if there, there's a lot of people that go out to school and they come back with their degrees or their diplomas or their this is and their that is, and they're all book theory. And they've never yes. been down that road. And I'm sorry, I will not, cannot relate to people who haven't had a journey. And, you know, you're talking to me from book experience. When right. you've got some life experience, I'll hear you. <laughs> yeah, well, that it, it, it's interesting because I worked in a detox many years ago when I first started, and uh, uh, we had public inebriants. They were there were not a lot of drug addicts in that point. First drug addict I saw, I didn't even know what I was looking at. But um, I remember I went to school and I took a course on uh, Rogerian theory. I think I hear you saying. And I thought, oh, this is wonderful. I went back to the detox that night to work, and a big guy came in, and a fairly, fairly intelligent man that had been living in the mission and got drunk. And, and he, I said to him, oh, I think I hear you saying, and he said, what are you talking about? <laughs> so that was the end. That was the end of that. <laughs> it didn't work for him, and it wasn't going to work for any other drunk. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and you know, with that, you have to kind of, you know, meet them head on in their own language, don't you? Mm-hmm. You know, if you right, want to capture exactly. their attention, capture them in their language. And then it's right. redirecting that language down another path, giving them another right. option. Because that's one of the things that you really have to do is give them another option. That's part of the tool of recovery, isn't it? Yes. You know, it's A, finding out why they're so miserable that they're being so destructive with themselves. And yes. then another option, a coping skill in order to rectify that well see that that, that that that's a very valid point because some people now are into we have to um I, i'm not in the field i'm i'm happy to be out of the field right now because changing completely okay it's it's all going to mental health and and they're mixing apples and oranges and as far as i'm concerned if you don't take the alcohol and drugs away first or the pills or the or the, the cocaine or the heroin you're not going to find out the exact nature of his personality okay? right but that's you know, nobody wants to hear that anymore because it's all about money. But the long and short of it is um, they're getting into this business about um, PST. Uh, post-traumatic stress, yeah. Right. You've got to find out what's making this person, uh, what do they call it? Uh, Tra- traumatized? It? Yeah, what's the trauma? Right. What's the trauma involved with this person while they're in early recovery? To me... If you open that door too soon, you're going to have somebody back on ke- on chemicals again. Yeah. To me, if you don't teach what you just said, if you don't teach enough, some behavior changes, it's like you have to, th- you can't think your way into right acting. You have to act your way into right thinking. I like so that. If, I like that. If you that. can teach people to change their behavior, and, 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 and like you said, not have those friends anymore, not go near that family anymore, they're destructive. That, that's, that that's the path that they have to take. Teach them a new skill for living, and then you can open that trauma door all you want. But if you open that trauma door too soon, alcoholics and drug addicts love to use an excuse for anything. Yes. Okay? My son's excuse for being out there for years was I divorced his father. Now, that's so ludicrous, it's, 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 it's hysterical. He laughs about it today because he's in recovery. But... That was his reason. You left my father. You took us away from the family of um, his family of origin. You you moved us to the country. Whatever. That's why we drink and drug. Oh right. please, you know, that's what addicts love. They love that. So you tell them you're so traumatized from this past experience. They're gonna roll with that. They don't have to change. They don't have to do anything. They've got a reason. They've got an excuse. Right. So take so, that excuse away. You know, it's right. It is, as you say, you know, you most certainly have to change, shift that behavior. Show them there's a, left, a less destructive way to deal with the pain. Right. Stop opening up the pain door. Open that door. Yeah. Then you open that door, that's fine. Of course you have to open that door. We all have to open that door sooner or later. But you've got to make okay. them stronger before they can do that. Right. Because if you don't, then how are they going to cope? Right. How are they going to cope? You're opening up that wound of such pain. Right. Uh, you know, first you've got to help them. Uh, you know how to deal with the pain, how to redirect the pain, how to you know um, right. use something else to manage the pain, so that when you do open that door, the pain isn't going to be an onslaught. So That's you know this whole psychiatry thing of tell me about your mother. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, what I could have told you about my mother early sobriety, you wouldn't have wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. In language, you wouldn't have wanted to hear. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a wonderful experience with you. 
I have to tell you. Oh, well, thank you very much. And, yes, you know, and really. for being so brave to, to be so candid. Um, I had a lovely interview which you reminded me of with a young woman whose entire family were alcoholic. And at 15, with a drink in her hand, she had to make a decision. Do I take this drink and go down this path or do I not? And today yeah. she works with addiction and alcoholics and grief training. And, and she wrote a book, um, 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 As the Snow Flies, uh, yeah, as the snow flies, and it's it's mm-hmm. a beautiful, beautiful book. She lost ten family members to alcoholism, oh, and wow. you know she managed to get them sober for a while, but unfortunately they went back because it's all they knew. The, mm-hmm. You know, for centuries it's all they've known, and the right. pattern was so engraved. And she was just lucky enough to be strong-willed enough to right. see that and go, "I'm not going to choose that path." Right. And you know we. If we're damaged as parents, um, we don't want our children to go down that same path. You know, and the quicker yeah. we realize this, the quicker we realize that our path is destructive for our children, the quicker we can redirect them that they're not going to repeat the same pattern. Mm-hmm. Well, the grandchildren have seen me not, never seen me drunk. And, and, and I, I just, you know, I just hope that they know that, that difference. I, the book is there. They have the book, and they can read the book, and they can they can their stories in the book, and um, I hope you know I'm sure eventually I have good relationship with the one 16 year old granddaughter. She she really likes me. And, and this is the age group you want it to get to. You know, you want yeah, the parents yeah. to read it to realize what they're doing, change your ways, but you want the right. kids to read it so they don't even start the path. Right. Well, I have one son that drinks very heavily, and uh, and and that's his her his her father, and he's uh, he's just angry man, very angry, and um, but he takes on the persona of of the of my ex husband and their family, and the other boy is uh, finally came to recovery, and um, my daughter doesn't. She's more codependent than she is. She doesn't. She drinks, but she's not. She doesn't drink alcoholically. So. Yeah, I mean, my kids, you know, when they go and party, they drink. My daughter just had her birthday. You know, they drink, uh, you know, at events like that. And it's not a daily drinking thing. My one daughter is a bartender. So she's around alcohol all the time and she drinks mm-hmm. every day. But what she does on the other side is... Uh, nutrients and healthy lifestyle and healthy food and walks mm-hmm. everywhere so she tries to come you know contact it with healthy living um, oh, so you know it's it's it is her chosen path she's actually good at it um mm-hmm. you know lots of articles written up uh, uh, on it but you know I'm more drinking than i like but i wouldn't call her an alcoholic um yes she drinks every day but she, she doesn't drink to get drunk Mm-hmm. Right, so it's right. it's part of her world, right. right? And I think that's another thing is if you are in that world where you know substance of some kind is going to be prevalent, you really have to look at how strong are you to enter that world, and you know maybe strengthen up before you enter it so that you do not succumb to it if 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 really your nature is addictive or you can't cope with it. You know, right. don't just, I'm an artist, so this is what artists do. Um, I'm a performer, this is what performers do. If it's right. not in your makeup to do it, and you know it's going to take you down the wrong road, you need to get your mindset on that before you even enter that world. 
Right, exactly. Well, this has been wonderful. So the second book has kind of come out when? Oh, I don't know. I have to work on it this winter. (laughs) I'm going to Florida in a few weeks, so I'm going to be down there. I'm not sure how I'm going to cope with not doing anything much, but I'm going to definitely run it while I'm there. I've got four, four chapters done. I have to revise a little bit. I read it the other day again. I went over it. I do everything by hand. I write write longhand, and then, I, then I'll put it on the computer. Then I'll send it out. But um, just uh, I'm just playing with it. I want to I want to get everything in there. I want to get the the journey in there. You know what it took to get to this point. And so, uh, and and yeah, what what you did, your right. tools, your tools. You know, and what you did to get yourself straight. And, you know, that that beautiful thing about the, you know, the thinking and the action. I mean, that's the beautiful lines. Make sure those go in. Um, And, you know, that's the thing is, again, what what PLV Ready stands for is people sharing their stories. And, you know, for some stories have been quite horrific. And it's extremely brave for people to come forth and own them. Because we have to own them. We have to own our stories, don't we? And in doing that, you're showing people, this is what you overcame. You know, you overcame all of that. And now you can, you can share your house. And your house now can become tools for other people to apply in their own lives. And that in itself, I mean, from, from the recognition of the woman who said, everybody needs to read this book, you know, you're already showing that empowerment to people by sharing your journey of the avoidance or the the redirect or the how you did it, why you did it, what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You're already out there, you know, changing people's lives. So thank you so much for doing so and for being so brave to be so honest. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Sarah. I really, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And, and I think what you're doing is really terrific. Um, I, I put on my Facebook page yesterday, if you have any last minute thing to do, for Hanukkah or, or yeah. Christmas, do, do feel free to order my book through my website or even I'll, I'll send it to you by mail if, through PayPal. So I'm, I'm still hawking it. I'm still doing my thing. My well, you know, the thing is, too, is we're in the new year now and this is, you know, the January is about honoring ourselves, you know, our resolution to investing in ourselves and you've just come out of Christmas and New Year you've been drinking you've been partying and now it's January this is a great time to pick up your book as a reminder of that if I want this year to be different if I really want my life to to really be true and honest to my potential to my possibilities to who I really am I've got to be willing to take the journey and by reading your book you're giving people permission and the courage to face themselves and take their own journey. So it makes a wonderful January gift for a New Year's resolution um, to invest in oneself. Oh, wow. That's really nice. I think maybe I should write some of that down. Um, it's just we have to look at that we we learn from other people and so mm-hmm. therefore by reading your story I mean I already in your opening in a statement is I totally related um, it completely that was my journey um, for the first 10 years uh, mm-hmm. or more of my you know adult life from 16 to 26 and that was completely my journey and it came from a complete lack of self-value because mm-hmm. I'd never been brought up to be told I was worth anything 
Mm-hmm. And That's it's right. and it's taken sixty years to get there <laughs> to feel you know worth anything. I don't, even, I don't even think they meant to do that. I think it's just somebody just didn't think to say that. You know, exactly. somebody didn't think to say that. I remember my mother saying to me, "Why can't you get good grades like the girls next door?" Yeah, you know, why? Why didn't she say to me, "I want you to go to college and get an education so you can make a great living later on"? You know, yeah. Holy mackerel! It's always the <laughs> comparing to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. You're you're not as good as the other person, and no, they don't realize they're doing it, and that's a lot to do. That's that's a, a chapter in your book, my dear. Mindful talk. Okay. All right. Oh, good idea. Oh, that's a really good idea. Because what we say, yeah, what we say, not only to ourselves or to other people, really becomes that undercurrent as to how we're going to think about ourselves. A a whole chapter here. (laughs) What a a blessing! Don't leave me. You have to stick around. (laughs) You know where I am. Let's stay in connection, most certainly. And uh, you know, this is a book I'm most certainly going to be recommending to people. Um, you know, um, because it's, I, I'm just so proud of you for being so brave, um, because Thank not, not many really. people would step up and own it and own it so honestly. And until you do, you know, what we have to stop doing, I think, is stop beating ourselves up for the mistakes that we've made and mm-hmm. understand that those mistakes can become a catalyst into what we're really meant to be. That's right. That's exactly right. Exactly. The life's lessons and forgive yourself for the mistakes you've made or choices you've made. Uh, mm-hmm. They were yesterday. It's what are you going to do today that counts. That's right. That's exactly right. You, you're very, very wise. You know that? You're very wise. <laughs> well, hopefully gathered enough life's experience all <laughs> 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 the way. <laughs> a few hatchets in the head, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, that's, I like that one too. A hatchet in the head, I like that one too. If you see yourself in print, you'll know where you came from. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Will you please tell everybody where they can get the book and your site and um, yeah. how they can get hold of you if they wish to talk to you? Yes, I have um, a web uh, website, www.patreal.com. P-A-T-R-E-I-H-L dot com. I have a Facebook page where I post every other day. It's not a personal page. It's a, it's a two lives, one lifetime page. And I write some some thoughts on there every other day. And I have um, uh, two tapes on YouTube uh, that you can key into. I think that you can get those through the website. And um, I have a... a Email address is patreal at yahoo.com, and I'm more than happy to talk to anybody on that on that Facebook page or on that um, internet. And uh, if you do think about ordering the book, if you want to communicate with me personally, I have a PayPal account, so we can do that too. Wonderful. Well, I really think this is a book that really should be on people's family's bookshelf. Um, Even if people, you know, uh, don't have addiction per se, uh, there's always some form of addiction. Some people are addicted to healthy living and become obsessed with it. Or they have friends. Or they have friends. It's a good book to have 
um, on the shelf as a conversation on the coffee table or even most certainly I think excellent book for a book club where everybody can read it discuss it and empower each other into um, giving themselves permission to speak about their own whatever addictive nature is in their own life um, because only when we share do we truly release yeah author has pictures <laughs> right, so, so then picture book. And there's a cute one of you as a little girl on the front here, which is really sweet. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Pat. And yes, we will stay in touch, most certainly. And uh, thank you, as I said, for being brave enough to write this book. It's a book, I think, that doesn't matter what the age is. Uh, we want our teenagers to read it now so they don't take the wrong path, parents to read it. Um, so they can understand they're living a life pattern that they were unaware of and this is time to change that pattern and even you know grandparents uh, to read it for them to understand you know their environment made them do what they did and that you to forgive them for their journey as well this is a cross-generational book and one i definitely see um, being of great benefit to people so thank you very very much All right, and a very, very happy holiday to you. Okay, everybody, be kind to yourself. It's the year of investing in yourself because only when you are fruitful can you bear fruit for others. Until the next time.